we can look at numbers and explain a number away. But when we actually start meeting, like if you're dealing with a retailer, walking into that store and understanding how it operates, talking to the retail manager, talking to some of the customers, and then you can give real advice back of like, well, what I actually saw was this. And that looks like it's creating more costs for you because they're duplicating their job three different ways. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode one. And my guest today is Amy Vetter, who's a CPA and a certified information technology professional and a certified global management accountant. Amy is a key influencer in the accounting industry and an accomplished tech executive, entrepreneur, and keynote speaker. Amy's the author of two books, the first entitled Business, Balance, and Bliss, How the B3 Method Can Transform Your Career and Life. Amy presented the popular TEDx talk, Disconnect to Connect, The Path to Work-Life Harmony. Amy's second book, Integrative Advisory Services, Expanding Your Accounting Services Beyond the Cloud, is the CPA and Accounting Professions Guide to the Future of Delivering Advisory Services to Their Clients. And this is the focus of our discussion in this episode, this book. Amy has been recognized as a top 100 most influential person by Accounting Today and one of the most powerful women in accounting by CPA Practice Advisor. She regularly contributes her insights to Entrepreneur, Inc., CPA Practice Advisor, and Accounting Today. And you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Vetter CPA. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Amy Vetter. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm welcoming my new guest, been dying to interview her, Amy Vetter. And, and just so you know, I attended the 2018 National CPE Educators Conference in New Orleans, and Amy was the kickoff keynote speaker of this conference. And let me just sum it up. She knocked them over. I oh. mean, it was it, it was a great presentation. And we're going to talk a lot about that because it's, it's, it's tied into her book, Integrative Advisory Services, expand your accounting services beyond the cloud. And for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, I just put the book up so you can see. If you're listening, please also watch it on YouTube. Amy, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend some time with me today. Well, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. And I appreciate you sending me a copy of the book because I read it and I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's a it's a toolbox. It's it's every firm should pick up this book and read it and begin to think differently. 
Well, thank you. And most people don't say, I just enjoyed every minute of an accounting book. So <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> well, let's, 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 let, let's set it straight. Now, it, it's not a debits and credits. And, exactly. you know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a Kiso and Wygant 55th edition of intermediate accounting. And I'll just start off by saying I, the reason why I liked it, because you use a lot of stories in here. Yeah. And, and real life stuff and, and how you help and, and the, the challenges that the profession is facing with technology and what we can do. And, and you tie in family members. And I thought it was, a, that's why I think it's a fabulous accounting book. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, I tried, uh, you know, like you said, I have a long uh, history in the accounting profession, starting from my grandfather, which I talk about in the book. But also having my own practice and really when I started my practice, it wasn't cool to have this type of practice. <laughs> um, I definitely, as a CPA, was other CPAs were like, what are you doing? Um, and I you know, started an audit. That was my background. But when I started my practice, and this is really before technology was anywhere near where it is today... Uh, I didn't want to do audit or tax as a sole practitioner because I was worried about the liability. Right. So I started really by accident along the way to this type of practice because originally I thought, well, I'll do a bookkeeping business. And what became interesting was the calls that I got in were different than what I expected. And it was business owners asking me to help them. Do their books, okay. uh, you know, where they had questions and they still wanted to be in control of it. And it was definitely in the beginning times of QuickBooks Desktop. And, you know, that really, I, I started moving more into controllership and advisory services. And when they needed bookkeepers, bring in bookkeepers. But that's, you know, your business kind of changes based on who calls you. Right. And over time, I just kept searching out technology. What would make this easier? What would make this easier? And, you know, was definitely on some of the first hosting software ever um, <laughs> when those came out and file sharing. Uh, and then over time, this has really become a pretty big passion for me to really stay ahead of where technology is to help the accounting profession as a whole evolve and be able to deliver the type of customer service our clients need so badly. Exactly. I get mesmerized because we speak the same language. What made you close the firm and turn your business model now into an author, a speaker, a keynote person? I... Uh, was always a speaker. So, I mean, I think I look back, even in college, I was like the teaching assistant. <laughs> like, I just love to educate. Mm -hmm. um, I was an adjunct professor. I'm actually going back to that a little bit as well at University of Cincinnati. Um, oh, well, Bearcats. Yeah. Uh, so, however, uh, when I started my business, growing up in an entrepreneurial family, I had started my experience in accounting with all the Fortune 500 companies being an auditor and working for KPMG and then um, through internal audit at you know, Fortune 500 and hadn't really worked in the small business space since I had been young. When I opened up my own practice, I 
remembered how much I wanted to help small business owners mm-hmm. because they don't have the tools that a big company has or the expertise. And so I started this, you know, really getting gratification going one by one to a client and helping. But what I started finding is uh, I was getting asked to speak or do workshops. And when I could see that I spoke to accountants, I could actually help thousands of small businesses at a time because each mm-hmm. accountant represents all their small business clients. And really that one-to-many, that when even if it's just one accountant in the room where you turn the light bulb on, you can affect so many small business lives. So that really took my passion in a whole nother direction that I ended up selling my business in 2010. And I've been you know, working at technology companies, being speaker for technology companies. But also, it's just my passion to really... This is just such an exciting time in the accounting profession because it's all come together in this moment where people are actually opening their eyes to what we can be and how we can help. And it's just exciting to be a part of that as a speaker and author at this time. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's amazing how the profession is recognizing that just counting beans is not going to get them, you know, into this next century, into this next, you know, 10, 15 years. It's, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I was trying to do soft, like, we call them soft skills, but I tell them, don't you think they're pretty hard to master? Yeah, doing this type of programming, and we, you know, I was always a pushback. We, you know, we need it, but I'm not going to invest into it. And, and most of my business mm-hmm. early on was, you know, basically teaching accounting because I taught accounting to how Dominican, I you know, doing all of that. But then over the last four to five years, I don't teach any technical accounting anymore. It's all this, mm-hmm. all this, based around the concept that improvisation is a communication tool. And light, I see light bulbs go off, and and these ideas. That, and this is where we need to take. So I see that excitement out there. I just and the ones who I don't see the excitement with, they're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And really, they should retire and turn it over to somebody who can take the firm into this next iteration of accounting. Yeah, and I would agree. And I think improv is a great way to coin the term just because that's what advisory services is. You can't plan for the question. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have to be okay with the answer of, I don't know. I'll go look for that (laughs) for you. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> not have to be an expert on the fly. But you know, clients appreciate that as far as customer service. I would say with the succession planning issue, uh, I totally agree there are definitely partners that, you know, and it's a struggle within the firm of people that want to change the firm and partners that are retiring that don't want to invest in it. But the scary part is, and the more I work um, with different firms, they are risking retirement or being Mm. able to retire because Mm. if they don't make that investment, there's no one that's going to want to take their spot because really someone can go and just set up technology in the right way in their own practice and not have to pay for the expense of trying to change what somebody else has in place. They don't just pay for customers anymore. They need to make sure that there's an infrastructure that's going to take them into the future. Exactly, and I think those those I I, I love I love the word that you're using because I, I, you're questioning me if you're really an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> because I am half yogi. So. <laughs> 
I hear more accountants use this term. Well, what's it going to cost me? Mm-hmm. But you don't use the word cost. You use the word, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been on that this crusade of when you just change that usage of word, it has a whole different meaning. And it, investment's more of an action word. It makes you think long-term. A cost is something like right now and it's gone, I'm never going to recoup that. Mm-hmm. And investment means your future of retirement. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, it's a very scary time for all these people that have work so hard to build a firm, you know, work 60, 70 hours a week in their life. And then you get to retirement and because you haven't made that investment to change for the future, mm-hmm. you're looking at what you expected to happen not happening. And so it is a really important thing to take the time right now and, and effort and get the right people involved in the firm that you're looking at to be the leader next. You know, so that you can set them up for success and empower them to really give guidance on what to do next. Right. And so let's take that and let's move into your book because I think by now talking about the book and what we're saying here, I think it becomes very clear. Now, you said you had family members and you start your book off talking about a family member who started their career in accounting. Sure. (laughs) So I actually didn't know him that well, but he's actually been kind of a guiding light in my life because my grandfather who died when I was three was used as an example a lot um, as I grew up. So my grandfather was a CPA in the very, I mean, you're talking the profession started in like the 1880s. He was the, you know, a CPA in 1935 in Minnesota. So very different time in the accounting profession. His family was a family of immigrants. And so you know, many of the stories that I had growing up was about how he was really trying to help other people. Everyone's trying to get out of their situations. Right. And so, you know, he didn't necessarily get paid in money sometimes. It was for coach for my mom each year, <laughs> or, um, you know, they got tickets to the symphony because he played violin. So it was a very different time as far as, um, because everybody just had to use what they had to get ahead. So that was really my perspective because that was the stories my mom told me. And she had chosen not to be an accountant and went into art. And I think always felt uh, that she had let her father down or made a mistake. And so, you know, very early on, by the time I was 12, I was saying I was going to be a CPA and I didn't even know what that meant. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I, what I did know was my mom later on opened her own business that I worked in from a very young age. And I did want to help people like my mom. I, you know, and she would take me to trade show events and, um, and like a uh, chamber of commerce, she was involved with construction management companies because they were made service. And so I started hearing the stories of all these business owners and really thinking like, how, you know, originally I was planning to go work in her business once I graduated college, but her business had closed by the time I got out of college. And so it was really having that in the background between what I had heard about my grandfather and knowing what small businesses go through of why I wanted to help. Now, I didn't get there right away because I went through the traditional public accounting route. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
this isn't what I was told. Again. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I thought. Uh, and, you know, just kind of kept, you know, going through that. But then when I opened my business and saw how much you could help, but it really takes, you know, going back to the improv or creativity right. as an accountant to be an advisor because, you know, businesses are asking you questions that, you know, they're trying to figure out a better way to go about their business and using your financial skills, you're helping save businesses. You're helping them stay in business. You're helping their families, their employees' families. It's the most rewarding job as an accountant, I believe, um, when you can get in that role. Right. Instead of delivering a product and service, you're delivering an experience. You're delivering more than that. You're call it client relationship, outstanding customer service, uh, outstanding experience. But as a a gentleman who, uh, a partner in a firm in Maryland, he, we were talking and he said, yeah, I, I, I try to provide that experience because they, they just like you, you started your business for some passion. There's a reason why. And um, I want to find out what that emotion is so I can understand them better. And I said, Brad, you said emotion. You sure you're a CPA? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that, he, goes, uh, he goes, trust me. He goes, I, um, it, I almost got out of public account and started my own firm because of that. But the firm that he's with now, um, they just gravitate on it and just getting to know that that client a lot better than just the transaction. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of accounting firms um, get stuck because they start, you know, pricing themselves out like, oh, well, this firm is less than me, you know, as far as what they charge or the bookkeeper down the street. But it's really to the customer. It has nothing to do with the price. It has to do with that. Are they, what are they getting out of the experience? They can get a tax return from anyone that just pushes a tax return through email to them. But is someone actually caring about me and my business and my worries that I have at night and can actually help me overcome that? And when you become that with your client, there is no one that they would leave you for <laughs> because they can't imagine not running your bu- their business without you. And as you're describing that, I went, oh, I remember. See, I was paying attention at the, at the presentation. <laughs> you, 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 you basically call that in your book and mentioned that cherished business mm-hmm. advisor. Yes. Not trusted, which we've been talking about in the profession for a long time, that trusted business advisor. But I, when you described that, I went, well, when you have that cherish, trust is built in there. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I, I think the more that we recognize that we really need to be that cherished business advisor, uh, takes, the, takes the business to a whole new level. Yeah. I, when I was writing the book, it actually took me a while to figure out that term. I searched and searched for the word I was looking for because I was remembering some clients I had that like, for instance, I had a construction client during 2006 in South Florida that Ooh. was taking a huge hit, right? Ooh, yeah. And, um, and I was working as their outsource controller. And then I had a bookkeeper on the account. And I would meet with them once a month. And, and her thing about coming to me in the first place was saying, you know, I, I was a VP at a large Fortune 500 corporation. 
now I'm running a small business, but I need to still think like a corporation and I need someone like you on your business. But then when they got hit uh, with, with everything that happened, she called me one month and said, I only have $200. Will you meet with me? And I'm like, that's the goal, yeah. right? Like $200, it didn't matter the money, but like $200 to her at that moment was like $10,000. Right, 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 right. And right. so the fact that she was like, what can I get as far as your time with that $200 that will help me survive? And so when I was thinking about that we call ourselves trusted advisors, I looked up the definition of trusted and that means you're honest and sincere. Mm. And to me, that doesn't describe that relationship because that's what we should be. We take ethics courses. We <laughs> take the CPA exam and say, we're going to be ethical. Um, something about being a CPA represents that. Right. Um, and hopefully any of us that are accountants and, and have the responsibility that we have to our clients um, are ethical people, right? Right. I don't feel like that's something that you should be striving for. You should just be that. Mm-hmm. But what you want to strive for is to be cherished, that your clients can't imagine not having you as part of their business because you are providing so much value that the money is not the issue. It's like you're an integral part of their business. Right. Right, exactly, and, and I love how you just framed that 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 whole uh, piece there. And, and for those of you who are listening and or watching, take a moment and reflect back on this cherished business advisor. And if you're not one already, how can you become that? And it's not going to happen overnight. No. But if you start taking these little steps every single day, next thing you know, you will have evolved into that cherished business advisor. Uh, so with with the conversation, because you're a technology expert as well, I forgot the credential, CI, what's the CITP and CGMA, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the CITP. Um, so we, we've been hearing for a long time, technology is going to have an impact on the profession and all these jobs potentially could go away, which I, I don't believe will just be, will just mold into something new. But what challenges do you see out there as it relates to technology and the adoption of technology that firms might be dragging their feet on or going, wait, wait, wait. I, I remember that whole thing called IFRS, which turned out to be like the metric system for in the US. So until yeah. something happens, I'm not going to pay attention to it. This is something you need to pay attention now because this happened. Yes. Uh, so, and I think that's a good uh, comparison because when we are given a standard or regulation. We're really good at changing. (laughs) But when we're given like, this is where future is going, but there's not necessarily a standard or a checklist of how to get there, we drag our feet a bit in this profession. And so that's really why I wrote the book because there's lots of checklists in there and and steps um, to help you along um, by doing this. But there's... If you think about it, there's no desktop software out there that's innovating. You know, it, it's in the cloud. Like this is where technology companies are spending their money, right? Um, and this is where the future is going. And your clients have an expectation of that as well. And like you, I don't believe that accounting is going away. The skill set is so important, but we've gotten away from our expertise, what we know on the inside, and selling that as a service versus. Of 
paper return mm-hmm. or an audit report. That's actually not the product. Our advice is always the most important piece of this is what somebody needs from us. And the problem is, and going back to your example, is firms traditionally have always focused on ANA credit. And that's, you know, whether I do audit or not, or tax, like I have to take that kind of credit. And instead of spending time on the soft skills that we need to have, and like you said, it takes time to evolve that and a different mindset in the accounting practice to teach it. Because too many times when I give this talk, you know, when I explain advisory services and and what it is and how to deliver it, many partners in the room will be like, oh, my staff can never do that. Well, that's just not true. We have to take time to delegate. And we have to take time to trust our staff um, and teach them and not just leave it to, well, we'll see if they can flail in the wind and figure it out. Right, right. So, so next time a partner says, oh, my staff can't do that, just pause for a and go, well, let's, okay. Just let's take a moment and have a little fun. What if we? What if they could? What would that look like? And, yeah. and, and somebody just re, uh, just recently taught me that, and I I love that because just let's have what would it look like if we could, and and start pushing them down that path so they'll start thinking about it, visualizing it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and it really does take the shadowing, allowing staff people to come into client meetings that you might have not had them come into and just watch the conversation and and how the back and forth goes and how you went about where you give them the opportunity to ask you questions and say, how did you know that answer? Or where did you go to find that? And so that they can start building those skills up as well. But you know, when we have such a linear firm we eliminate that opportunity to allow lower staff people to see what managers do, what partners do, and so forth. So they're ready for that next level and can start building those skills. And how do I bill for their time? <laughs> exactly. So I did that with a straight face. I did yeah. that with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> it's an investment. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's an investment. And, and I, I showed this to a, a, a friend of mine who's in a firm, was in a firm in the DC area. Uh, one of her clients, the tax return was going to, was done. So she said, "Hey, how about if I just drop it off?" So on my way home, partner said, "Fine." One when the the when she dropped it off, they, she was so surprised that somebody came out to visit her. She goes, "Do you want to learn more about my business?" And and they were she was in the horse business, and my friend spent three and a half hours going through the barns and understanding what, and came back the next day and shared the story with the partners. What did the partners ask her? How did she bill for it? Exactly. <laughs> How did she bill for it? And she said, I basically resigned at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Instead of looking at she, by doing what she did, she probably brought in $10,000 more business for the next year if that had been worked you know, the right way. Right. Because she cared. There's not an entrepreneur in the world that will not talk your ear off about their business. They love being asked about their business. They love telling you all the great things they've done. And they also want to be able to uh, trust somebody that they can tell you where they're not doing so well too. Right. Uh, to confide in. Exactly. And, and 
So I, uh, this partner in this firm in Maryland, his name is Brad Hoffman. I asked him once, I said, so what, the, what do you say when somebody says, tell me about your firm? He says, I, I really don't at first. He goes, I asked him, well, tell me about your business first. Because, and then he goes, on the side, just what you said, what business owner doesn't want to tell you about their business? And just, yeah. from that, just from that aspect, he says, I'm just listening the whole thing. And then after they're done, I'll give them a, a twist or a turn or tell them about our business. And, but no, I just want to learn more about their business. And he goes, he's able to one, keep and attract more business that way by doing that. Other than saying we got 35, yeah. par- 35 partners, we had 100 associates, we've been in the community <laughs> since the 1800s, we give back and we reinvest <laughs> in the community. Those are facts and figures and nobody cares. You're not differentiating yourself. But until you can, I, I always said if I was a member of that firm, somebody said, tell me about your firm. I would go, we're in the people business because we really care about the people that work with us and about our clients and their families. By the way, tell me more about yours. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole section in this book about sales process, but it talks a lot about the open-ended questions and how to practice that as well, if that doesn't come natural to you. And, you know, that it's a really important thing that, that your friend is doing because when he comes back to talk about his business, he's going to frame it against what the pain points of that client is. So right. when you were talking about that you struggle with cash flow, we have a whole team that that's what they focus on for their small business clients. And they're able to usually turn around businesses within a year, you know, or something like where right. that's a better way to explain your business. Cause then it's like, Oh, I want that. Like, cause I need that rather than like you said, just listing off all your service lines that actually mean nothing. <laughs> Who knows what right up means. And I think that's the other challenge we have in the profession is taking that complex information that's between our ears and be able to put it in context. So somebody can understand, even within our own profession. Yeah. And speaking in your client's language. And speaking in your client's language, not the language of accounting. Because as we both know, you say depreciation to a non-accountant. They think that's the value that they lose in their car when they drive off the new car lot. Right. And you're going, no, no, no. It's a systematic allocation of an asset over time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So technology. I, I hear a lot now about AI and blockchain. Mm-hmm. Now, the first time I heard somebody say blockchain, I thought it was an intestinal disorder. <laughs> <laughs> but I found out it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big impact into, the, into the, our profession. And I'm, I'm seeing more and more state societies and accounting today write about AI and blockchain. Mm-hmm. Can you, at a 5,000 foot level, kind of explain blockchain? Sure. So uh, I will do my best. (laughs) But uh, basically, with AI, machine learning, and the evolution of cloud accounting, a lot of times these things are looked at in the profession like it's taking our jobs away. And let me tell you, I talk to businesses from all different professions, and every profession is dealing with disruption right now (laughs) because of this, right? Because anything like accounting, that's as structured as it is, AI machine learning can enter because that, you know, then there's a structure to program into a system, which is what causes us to step back and retool and create a different experience with our customers. So what artificial intelligence is, is basically taking our own business intelligence and 
trying to program that into a computer so that the computer can start figuring out those things. And the difference is machine learning actually starts learning that intelligence rather than us programming it in. It learns from what the programming is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we are, there's a singular way of looking at machine learning where it might code something for us on an invoice and so forth where, you know, because it's been coded that way a million times, the computer has picked up that that's the coding you should use Mm -hmm. in a transaction. Or when we go into deep machine learning, it tries to mimic what our brain does. So if you think about all the neural networks in our brain, you know, they're all crossing and interconnected because they start learning from each other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the same thing in a computer system once we get to deep learning. So an example of that is if you've heard of Google Translate, mm-hmm. it will not only recognize a picture of what that picture is, but then it's also going to translate that into your language. So it gives you a multiple layer look at you know the machine figuring out different ways to communicate. So that is a disruptor in itself because uh, you know a lot of the maybe data entry work the machines can start doing that isn't necessarily a value added piece of the engagement. It actually frees up our time so we can spend more time with our clients. It doesn't bring our value down. But it does is give us the information quicker so that we can start analyzing it. Now with blockchain, um, this has been a disruptor, especially um, where the AICPA is looking right now in the audit space. Because, uh, and I think 80% of the banks right now have projects in place with blockchain. That you know, you think about it as a chain, but it's a chain of transactions, and this chain can be anything. It can be titles to properties. It can be all sorts of things. But because one piece of the chain interlocks with the next one, it's harder for fraud to occur because they're all dependent on each other. So you would have to be able, if you wanted to alter a piece of the chain, you would have to alter everything before it and then what it affected after it, which would be pretty complex in the system. Not to say it couldn't happen, but the risk of it happening is a lot different. So the AICPA has been you know, really trying to work on the audit side to get exposure up to this because you know, eventually, most likely, you know, where the audit is going to go is more about cybersecurity, and auditing the actual technology and where the information is filtering from rather than the transactions because the transactions are most likely correct if the technology is working properly. And so uh, when you have a blockchain, basically another way of putting it is this triple entry accounting is the record is on the blockchain, but it's also in the accounting system of, or, or system of record. Mm-hmm from the supplier and um, the customer all at the same time. So it's all being recorded at the same time and marked with the same identifier. So that's my quick and dirty. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I appreciate that. Because I asked Tom Hood a while back, and he gave me, he goes, I'm still learning this. I'm still trying to figure it out. And that was probably about eight months ago. So I I love how now... 
the ability to explain it has gotten a lot better than it was, you know, less than a year ago. But the, as you're talking, the one thing I'm hearing is, okay, we're going to get the information quicker. We'll be able to do more. Hey, wait a minute. I got a budget in there for this many hours that we've had over the last with this client. So I'm not, I, I'm going to have to cut that time down. Well, that, that's going to hurt my revenue stream. Exactly. And so that's where your billing has to change. <laughs> Just because you got smarter or you put better technology in place to deliver the service that you're, you're doing doesn't mean your value was brought down. And there's no way for each client to duplicate the kind of overhead and investment you've had in your business in order to deliver the service that um, they're getting from your firm. So it's important to start looking at what is the value of what you're delivering beyond the technology, but also the technology itself, but not looking at time as your inventory. Right. Because when you start looking at time as your inventory, that limits your opportunity and you're actually cutting yourself short. In right. the end. That, that was the, the, my biggest shock to the profession. I got into it a little bit later. I entered when I was 30 years old. But, but what do you mean I got to keep time? Yeah. I thought, I thought this was a profi- I didn't know we have a time clock. And, and then building on 15 minute increments and then building a customer for a phone call was just, mm-hmm. uh, people looked at me like I was crazy while I'm looking at them and going, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, and, and, but I, I over time, and one firm shared a story with me that a client called him up, asked him a specific question. Okay, thanks. Next day, called back, asked another specific question, hung up for three days. And finally, somebody, whoever he was calling, goes, Wait a minute, this is weird. Something's going on. Let me pick up the phone and call the client. And the first question was, Are you going to bill me for this time? He goes, yeah. No, I'm not. I, you know, tell me what's going on. And that was the point that the client opened up and and said the issue at hand and how can you help me? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, exactly what you said, when we bill for every minute, it prevents the conversation from happening. And sometimes we're just looking at the symptoms of a problem, but not the actual problem, the root of it. And so we take what's face value just to get the work done Mm-hmm. rather than really trying to uncover that. And that's something I talk in the book as well about is the difference between tangible and intangible. And that's uh, something that really defines an advisor. So we can look at numbers and explain a number away. But when we actually start meeting, like if you're dealing with a retailer, looking, walking into that store and understanding how it operates, talking to the retail manager talking to some of the customers and really seeing the intangible pieces of the financials and the operations, then you can give real advice back of like, well, what I actually saw was this. And that looks like it's creating more costs for you because they're duplicating their job three different ways. Right. And, and I had an article published about, I think it was now God, two years ago in accounting today that the title was, it's time to get out from behind our desk. Mm-hmm. And basically talking about this issue, you you can't be you, you may be the CFO, CFO. Hopefully, it's the CFO, not the CFO mm-hmm. of the company. But if you're managing the business from your desk, you're missing out on a whole lot. You've got to get out there and, and understand all silos of the business in order to be that cherished, almost a, that cherished yes. business advisor 
uh, to the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where the value comes in because you just showed you cared. It's like going to that horse farm. Um, and there was probably a lot she uncovered there from a financial perspective that could help that client really um, improve as well just by being there. Yeah, but she's not long, she's no longer there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all that was lost. All that all that all that was lost in a very short sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it goes to, it goes to the culture, it goes to the attitude, uh, and, and really that is a lot of being that cherished advisor that 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 positive mental attitude that 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 you know sometimes we're just afraid to ask questions, but we need to ask questions in order to understand. But but I think the perfectionists of CPAs, mm-hmm. and we don't like to be wrong. That's the way we were brought up, especially back in you know as we've transitioned. That if I have to say, I have to find the answer. I, I'm not the expert, but no, I, I said unless you know it a 100% verbatim, then if there's any question in your mind, get back to them in 24 hours. Right. Well, and another you know place that with talking to staff or management in an accounting firm that I think happens too is a culture isn't creative of innovation. Culture isn't created for innovation. And so too many times staff are set up where they are asked to go figure something out. And because they came back with the wrong answer or failed in coming back the way that they were expected, sometimes that can be used against them for one year, two years, three years. They can't break from that one mistake that really was a learning opportunity for them. And so when we think about the culture in an accounting practice, we have to make sure that there's a culture open for people to have those mistakes because that is the only way you learn. And if you're telling everybody and micromanaging them on the answer, they're never going to learn as well. You need them to go through that process and go, well, this is how I got to that answer so that you understand how they think. Mm-hmm. And could go well next time you go through this. These are the two things you should change in your decision making process. Else they don't grow. Right. In, in improv, we say bad ideas are just bridges to good ideas. Yeah. No, no ideas lead to nothing. <laughs> and we also say that we, when when you want ideas, bring a brick. Don't bring the cathedral. Uh, but you but you have to you know innovation and ideas. Because we're a very conservative profession, when we ask for ideas, if this is safe zone here, we ask for ideas, they're not going too far off of safe. I have no bandwidth to create. But mm. if, I, if I can get them to believe in crazy, just <laughs> something completely almost inappropriate at times, to come, I've got more bandwidth so I can come here in the middle. And I've shared this before on the podcast. I was doing a creativity session Fortune 500 company in Maryland, they brought their U.S. emerging leaders and the Latin American emerging leaders in for a conference. And I got to do a half-day creativity session with them. One of the questions on the table was how we're going to increase profitability in the firm. Raise revenues, cut costs. Okay, got it. Go deeper. Go deeper. Mm -hmm. And this one gentleman from Latin America goes, I tell you what we're going to do, my friends. (laughs) This is how we're going to increase profitability in our company. We are going to kill all of our competition's salespeople. (laughs) <laughs> everybody laughed I panicked for a brief moment because I wasn't expecting that but I said you know if you believe what the bad ideas are good ideas so I just took a deep breath and I said I'll tell you what let's take murder off the table 
and, and the short story, I said, instead of killing them, why don't we identify them and poach them? Let's try to steal them. Let's offer them more money. Let's offer them a bonus. Maybe we can attract them that way to help and stay out of jail at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know this answer, but would we have gotten there without that guy taking me literally and coming up with a really bad idea? Right. But we were able to turn it into something usable. Right. So when you when people are giving when accountants are giving ideas and 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 I said if you ever do a creativity session, the managing partner or the partner who's leading it, if they're leading it, they're the ones who need to throw out the craziest, stupidest idea that they have, which will loosen up the rest of the culture. If not, it's going to just fall flat on its face and go back to basically what you described. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, kill our competition salespeople. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the right No. So as we wrap up, uh, you, you've mentioned a lot about you know helping small businesses, mm-hmm. but you failed to inform us. You have two small. You have two businesses. You're speaking business, and I don't know when you find free time. But would you tell my audience what else you do in a business? I own a like, yoga studio. Yes. She, <laughs> own, she owns a yoga studio in. In Cincinnati. In Cincinnati. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, so and then, we have we have over fifty classes a week and do uh, non heated and heated classes. We have virtual yoga and retail. It's my creative outlet. So. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So can we, can I ask you to give the name uh, of the oh, business? Yeah. Okay. yeah, Drish Teak Yoga. Say um, that again. Say that again. Drish Teak. D R I S H. T-I-Q. So I made up the word. Uh, Drishti is your gaze in yoga. So it's staying focused beyond yourself and it helps you stay in balance. So I added the Q to the end. So it's never ending. Nice. (laughs) And you had a group of what, about a little over a hundred people at that conference. You no, it was Michelle who started it. With it the was yoga, the yoga, yeah. With the yoga pose, with everybody bowing. Yeah. You could, she said everybody, you know, kind of squat, and I heard knees pop all over that room. <laughs> well, and I assume you have a website. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I what? also my website's amyvetter.com. Um, I also have drishtikyoga.com if you're interested in virtual yoga and you're not in Cincinnati. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I do sessions around the country to help accounting practices do this. I also have a second book that really integrates my yoga and business life called Business Balance and Bliss. And I do a topic about how to create work-life harmony so that you can be more real at work, set these boundaries, take advantage of the technology you put in place. So you don't always have to get more clients. It can be that you find your creative outlet, your hobby, so that you feel more complete. Mm-hmm. As a person, and you're better with the people at work and at home. Cool. And, and before I let you go, because those who are going to be watching this on YouTube are going to see in the corner, left corner of the screen, uh, a, a, a music stand, and it looks like it might be a guitar. <laughs> a guitar back there. Yeah, I play bass guitar. So. <laughs> oh, that's right, you do. Oh, you want to play something for the audience? <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> I don't know how you find time, but that, but that, that is awesome. That's all of my work-life harmony thoughts. So. 
<laughs> well, I own three guitars and I don't play the guitar, so that's... Oh, that's funny. Well, hey, you can have an appreciation and a love for music. So. Yes. <laughs> and, and happy to look at it. I, I, I use the guitars if I'm stuck in my head and I need something creative, I just start strumming. I'm, I'm going to yeah. teach myself one day how to play. Hey, but, uh, YouTube is your friend. It is. <laughs> very yeah. much so. So, so Amy, I just want to thank you very much for taking time and, and sharing this information with my audience. I'll we'll have the websites for both for businesses in the show notes. Uh, I look forward to our paths crossing again, crossing again very soon, and I wish you all the best luck in the world. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. I would like to thank Amy again for sharing with us her thoughts on how CPA firms can become more future ready. I highly recommend you reading her book and applying her advice to your firm. There is a link in the episode show notes to her book on Amazon.com. In episode two, my guests are Michelle Sopp with the Georgia Society of CPAs, Jennifer Oleska with the Georgia Society of CPAs, Brett Johnson and Chris Fleck of the AICPA, and we discussed the major takeaways from the 2018 National CPE Educators Conference. Thank you again for listening and begin the process of changing your mindset and getting out of your comfort zone. Because when you do, that's where the magic happens. Remember, this is a process that requires daily application with a big dose of applied improvisation. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.